Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Backpacking Experience Podcast. It's wild to think about, but Happy New Year. And welcome to the first episode of the Backpacking Experience in 2022. My guest interview today took place a few months ago, and I'm excited to finally be sharing it with you. I've got Tayson and Brigham from the company Outdoor Vitals on this episode. We spend the time discussing what it's like to take product ideas and turn them into actual production products sold to customers. Now, I appreciate Tayson and Brigham being open to sharing some behind the scenes of Outdoor Vitals, what it's like to design products, how they come up with ideas and such, and really what it's like to bring an outdoor product to market. Now, just over a year ago, I spent a weekend with these guys on a trip in Southern Utah where I was able to see a prototype model of the Shadow Light backpack, which has now been uh, brought to market, very popular, and I think it's been a successful product for them. So congrats on that, uh, Tayson and Brigham, and the whole Outdoor Vitals team. But it was cool to see how it performed on that trip. And it was also really cool to see firsthand the field testing that goes into developing a product And as I've personally joined an outdoor gear company myself as an employee, I'm now working for Waymark Gear Company, I've been able to go out and field test product myself uh, as we've developed uh, things for Waymark. And I've, since all of that experience, I've developed a much higher level of respect for the design and development process of new products in general. Now, before jumping into talking with Tayson and Brigham, I want to thank today's long-term sponsor of the podcast, Art of the Trek. You guys, if you listen to the podcast, you are very familiar with Art of the Trek. I have talked about them for uh, going on over a year at this point. Art of the Trek is run by an amazing team. It's been so fun to work with them. But they've been putting an amazing amount of work into creating a public map that makes planning backpacking trips way easier. And by adding points of interest to the public map, they're making it just so much more simple to plan trips. It's been a lot of fun to watch these points of interest grow and get added over the past several months and even over the past year. And they truly add a lot of valuable information to the map that makes planning trips easier. You can also contribute your own points of interest to the map. So if you've been out on a day hike or a backpacking trip recently, and while hiking you found something on the trail that may be helpful for others to know about, you can add that point of interest to the map. Oftentimes trailheads are not listed on topo maps, and adding those to the map as well helps other hikers orient and plan better trips in general. To add your own points of interest, go to artofthetrek.com. In the overlays menu, you'll toggle on the various overlays. A small orange plus symbol will appear in the bottom of your window, and when you click on it, you can select various types of points of interest to add to the map. I definitely recommend jumping on Art of the Trek and checking out this feature. So without further ado... Let's jump in and talk with Tayson and Brigham from Outdoor Vitals. So it's always exciting for me to have a repeat guest, and in this case, guests on the show. And I'm happy to welcome back Tayson and now Brigham from Outdoor Vitals, uh, who I know have had a busy day. Right, guys? 
A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what I'm referring to is the fact that they have actually uh, launched today on Kickstarter a brand new travel uh, adventure backpack called the Coda UL, which we'll talk about more uh, as we go into this episode. But how has launch day been for you guys today? It's been good. Uh, A lot of page refreshes would probably be the best way to sum it up. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean Um, by that? Well, you know, you you push it out on Kickstarter. So we start off really early. We we push it out the door at like 6 a.m. And then you're just refreshing the page to see how many new people have backed and how much more funds have been raised. So I see. um, see. Especially the first half of the day, you're pushing it out to our audience and different audiences, um, you know, that we that we have. And so kind of watching what are we going to get to by you know, noon or so. And so just a lot of uh, refreshing to see new pledges come in. That's rad. Well, I hope that that is continued success for you. And it's a great, great thing for the brand and that people enjoy it. I mean, you've recently finally got one of your other products into the hands of backers, the Ventus hoodie, which I also want to talk about a lot uh, later in the episode when we dig into more of the products that you as Outdoor Vitals are putting out there. But uh, the reason that I wanted to do this episode, as you guys know, but for listeners, I want to pick more so Brigham's brain uh, as a product designer for an outdoor gear company. What the back end of product design and how outdoor gear goes from concept to market and then into customers' hands. And Brigham, I know that you uh, actually have a college degree in outdoor product design. Is that right? Yep, that's true. So maybe you could give <laughs> maybe you could give a little bit of like background on what that was like and how it led you to uh, what you are currently doing with Outdoor Vitals. Sure. Um, it was it was a great experience. Um, it was like something that. I really connected with that, uh, kind of made me make some, some, some direction changes with my family. But, uh, it was a very, when, when I was in the that degree program, it was like brand new and I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest for, you know, moving my family across the country and starting the very first semester of that program. It was a little bit, I was a little bit nervous at first. Cause I was kind of thinking I was not too impressed, like with the way things were going. Um, from previous experience in college. Right. So it just did not sure. seem to be the same. Um, but I, I, I stuck with it. I mean, I pretty much had no choice since I <laughs> moved up, that up direction, rooted. but, uh, <laughs> burned the boats and yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, it was, it was great because it, it quickly, the program really started gaining speed momentum and, and like improving the quality of the faculty. And, uh, I'll say by the second year, um, it was much, it was like 180 degrees turnaround, much better. And so it was just, I was just trying to be a sponge and just learn as much as I could in something that I was really passionate about and interested in, but frankly, didn't have all the, I didn't feel like I had all the, the know-how or the, the, uh, the experience. Like for example, you know, sewing, I'd never touched a sewing machine in my life, but. Isn't it fun? But, uh, what's that? I said, isn't it fun to sit down and it is sew fun. and create? <laughs> it, it is fun. It's, it's very motivating. That's um, awesome. 
Yeah. Did that, did that, did that cover what you wanted me to cover? Yeah, that works for me. Cool. I want to now like fast forward, you've graduated and how did you land your yourself and find yourself at outdoor vitals working with oh, yeah. Tayson and, and the team? Um, uh, well, I guess, uh, Tayson kind of found me just at a, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Senior an, day or an exhibit type thing, a senior exhibit for the graduating class. Hmm. Um, okay. and, um, yeah, yeah. Talked to me about the job and the, and the company. And, uh, it was actually really motivating to hear, uh, kind of the direction that, that they wanted to go, that outdoor vitals wanted to go. Um, and so, yeah, it, it worked out, um, that I got, I got the job here and, well, I'll, I'll interject here. Um, so years ago, I designed like the first pack at Outer Vitals. And really, it was just a learning experience for me of how much goes into a backpack. Like, I think as a consumer, you look at a backpack and you just see the pack. You don't realize like oftentimes the like hundreds of different pieces that are actually sewn together to make a pack. Um, <laughs> right. And so I think when you go through that process, you realize how technical they are and as I was walking around the different projects and looking at different things, I passed Brigham's project and it was actually kind of a model or mock-up of a different pack that I was aware of that I had personally purchased for uh, sport, you know, sporting activities. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dang, that's impressive. And so I swung back by his table and talked with him and was like, if you built this pack, like I want to go to dinner with you. So I'm like, let's go to dinner. Let's talk. And that's kind of what hit it off. But right out of the gate, Brigham. I, I, he says I found him, but really it was just me seeing the work that he had done and the pack that he had sewn together and saying, Hey, this guy gets it. He gets technical products. Let's go, let's go talk and, and get to know each other. So what were some of your, your motives, Tayson, for moving in the direction of outdoor vitals needs or wants to hire a product, like a dedicated product designer? Like what, at what stage was the company at that you felt that that was the necessary move to yeah. grow the brand yeah, or whatever I mean, it is? In hindsight, you 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 see so much, right? Like you can tell so much. But um, essentially, it was we had we we got to a point where we had the opportunity one to afford a full time designer. Two, um, we were now you know working with manufacturing partners, had the ability to get into these manufacturing partners that were at such a high level that we really needed someone that was also, you know, designing full time with them and and looking at every single aspect of every piece. And that was where the big disconnect was having me design work at that point. I just could not give it the time and attention it needed. And and so we weren't rolling out as many products. And, you know, there was more of a potential of, of me, you know, not seeing something earlier on in, in, in a development process. And so really, in hindsight, we should have hired sooner, you know, but um at that point in time, you're just trying to make the best decisions as you go forward. And, and so for us, it was, you know, we had the, the capabilities, we had the right manufacturing partners, you know, coming into play at that point. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle the design work and it wasn't moving in the direction we wanted, you know, in the beginning of Outer Vitals, you know, it was obviously different than where we're at now. And what we wanted to build the whole time is, is what we're building right now. So, um, and, and having Brigham come in and have him be such a good, um, integration with the team and with me and, and our, and our ideas really teed off a lot of what you're seeing now and what you're seeing come to market. Do you feel like once you came on Brigham, maybe this would be good from, from your perspective that once you came on that things just kind of went hyperspeed. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> That's what it's the reason I say that is that kind of from a consumer standpoint, because uh, I am a customer of Outdoor Vitals, like and paying attention to the product line and everything, it it does seem like once you came on and had noticed that okay, now Outdoor Vitals has this dedicated product designer. They're just like pumping out product like crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? Uh, you know, looking back on it, I, would, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, like I, was, I, I, had, I had no idea what to expect. Um, you know, first job in this industry. Um, but I mean, like as soon as I got here, I, I got, assigned, you know, handed projects and, I just, just rolled, you know, just went with it. And, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, I like the pace. Like I, I like, um, just constantly having a, a, like a, a swath of projects to work on and like, yeah, I just wouldn't have it any other way. Um, you know, me personally, just for how I prefer to work, but then also for like our company now, I think, I think it is, probably the best thing that we could do or could have done to, to really um, kind of speed things up or just not necessarily speed things up, but just move things along and progress. I guess progress is kind of the big thing. You kind of stepped into a backlog. I was like, Hey, here's the backlog of stuff that we need to refresh. <laughs> it's time to get it refreshed and, and improve. And then here's all these future ideas. And so he, he had no choice, but hit the ground running and, and just get, get to work. So <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Well, it's exciting and it's fun to see what you guys are doing. And I mean, I'm sitting here wearing a recent product. I've got the Ventus on and I feel like <laughs> ever since it showed up, I've worn it literally every day, all day, because it's kind of cold here at work. But um, besides the point, what I want to dig into a little bit more now is just the, the, the idea of like taking a product from concept to market. and from from a consumer standpoint, I think it's difficult for people to truly understand like how where does my gear come from and who is the the brains behind it? What's that process like? And how does it how does it go from a computer drawing to then something that I'm using actively as a consumer? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So sure. maybe maybe we can take it step by step and just kind of give listeners an idea of I don't want to share secrets obviously there's things that are done that uh maybe proprietary but maybe give an idea of like there's an idea how does that idea grow into concept and prototype yeah um you know I I guess that one of the cool things is is that all the thought call it all like the idea stuff that happens before uh, you know, metaphorically or literally putting pen to paper, you know, digitally, right? Like there's, there's a lot of variety in how that happens too. Like some ideas just almost just come instantly or like with very little thought. And that, that, I, that, I don't want that to sound bad. Like it's not thought out. It's just like some ideas just seem so easy to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're connecting dots. Like when you're in the industry and you get to see all the things that Brigham gets to see, sometimes it feels like you're just like, well, this makes sense. You just connect these two dots and you have this amazing <laughs> product. But to an outsider, it's like, 
they have no idea that this exists and this exists and you can put them together. Yeah. And, and like, uh, you know, and then other, other ideas or concepts take a lot of deliberation and, and, and like really hashing out. Is it like, are we thinking about this the right way? Is this the right thing to do? Is this the right product? Um, cause there's a lot of complexity there too, whether it's like actually about the product or if it's like the right product or if it's even the right direction. So yeah, a lot of that initial thought process that, that occurs, um, it's, it's, it's very, uh, diverse in terms of how the concept comes up. Um, but if we do decide that, that a concept is worth moving forward, um, then we do try to like kind of, uh, focus it in and, uh, dial in the objectives, the intent, um, kind of just start focusing it in and, and start getting some parameters. And then, um, and that includes, you know, um, uh, reminding or always like having to remind ourselves, like, who is this for? Um, and then that all kind of starts to shape a picture, um, of what we're going to set out to, to make really. Um, and then once we do that, you know, it's, uh, th then it's kind of the pen to paper type thing where we, uh, you take that, that picture, um, and those parameters, the concept, and then you start designing, you know, I mean, things as simple as like, well, what dimensions do we need? Um, so you look at, you look at all those things. Um, you look at, um, what, what materials or what technologies do we want to use in terms of materials? Gotcha. Um, I think one of the cool things too, with like us getting those parameters set up, is I think some people hear parameters and depending on the type of business, they might be thinking like price point parameters or, you know, like, mm -hmm. like things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's not like our, what we're talking about when we're talking about parameters, when we're talking about parameters, we're talking like, take the shadow light backpack, for instance, we're like, Hey, we want this to be sub two pounds. We want this to have real features that say someone who uses an Osprey backpack could come and take the shadow light and not feel like, like a lack of confidence because the pack is like too minimalist, right? Sure, sure. Like they still have the main features they need and want. So, so we set up some parameters like that. And then that's where Brigham really gets to get super creative with, with other things. But price point for us, fortunately, because of our business model being direct consumer, like that's not the type of price or parameters that, we're, that he's referring to with that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, definitely they're product specific parameters, you know, like they could be performance benchmarks, um, waterproof benchmarks, breathability benchmarks, uh, you know, like I said, size, dimensions, volume, um, you know, R value, just like all kinds, those are all like the parameters that we, we kind of set. Right. Um, yeah. Then, you know, then it's kind of that putting pen to paper and, and going to work on the actual design. Um, because what, what has to happen is um, I have to be able to communicate our design to somebody that I'm not talking to face to face. Right. So <laughs> right. it doesn't, it frankly doesn't matter that they're a hundred miles away or 2000 miles away. Like I still have to communicate what they're supposed to make me a prototype and how they're supposed to make it. 
So that's, that's what I'm trying to achieve when I go through like the design of the product. So I, I, I'm thinking of the actual products itself, but then I have to communicate to somebody that's not right there with me, like exactly how I want this thing made. Um, and so that's what, that's kind of like the designing. Um, then once we, you know, I will, I'll send off the design, um, to one of our partner manufacturers, um, and request like a first prototype. Um, they're very, mo they're more frequently called a sample, um, in terms of like the internal communication. So I'll request a first sample of something and, um, and that varies too. Sometimes that's the, the first sample can be really close to what I'm looking for. Right. And sometimes <laughs> not so much. Um, sometimes it leaves you like scratching your head. Like why, why did they do that? Why did they put padding in every panel of that backpack? When I said nothing about foam padding in every panel about a backpack, right? Has that actually happened? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like Christmas every time we get a package, which honestly just kind of like you alluded to Devin is it used to be more free, like less frequent. So like you'd get a sample from, from, uh, a manufacturer, you just be like so excited and be like Christmas morning, opening it up and looking at it. And now it happens so frequently, it, it's lost some of its savor. But um, yeah, there can be real uh, excitement on Brigham's face or real disappointment on that first sample, especially. Yeah, that's got to be really interesting because I'm, I'm sitting here listening to like what that process is like for you versus me that also works for an outdoor gear company. We manufacture everything in house. Like I'm actually sitting in the office right now and there's a dozen sewing machines through the wall and yeah. we are manufacturing backpacks every single day with the ability to make changes on the fly or like, Oh, we want to try a new fabric. Cool. Let's try a new fabric and boom, like order it and it's here and then we can be manufacturing and like, it's gotta be so different to go through that process of working with production like factories uh, overseas or wherever you end up uh, having partners at and going through that sampling process and making sure that all of those like checks and balances are there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, and I will, I will say that um, it, it is so important to, uh, to have good partners, like good partnerships with, really solid, high quality manufacturers. Um, because it, it becomes a two way design process. I'm honestly like, not that they're designing anything, but, um, it's, it's almost like they, they, they do it so much. They understand the, the language, call it the language. It's not really a language. It's just like, there's, they, uh, it, they, they're very, they're very skilled. Um, and they can almost kind of read your mind to some degree where once you establish this, this cycle of information with them, they, they anticipate things way, uh, very quickly and very easily. So, um, so, you know, you learn with certain partners, what you, what you really need to give them the finite detail on. Mm -hmm. um, and you learn like what you don't and, and it saves a lot of time. And 
but that that only comes if you've got really solid manufacturing partners. So this might be too specific of a question, but are you providing like step-by-step processes of how something is put together or is that partnership with the factory a partnership in the sense that you come up with the design and you rely on them to figure out the steps to create the product so that it gets done the way that it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it can be either, honestly. Um, and it, it really just depends. Sometimes I'll anticipate that something might be hard to understand. So then I will give more, like, I'll give design, but also like, this is how you put this together in these steps. Um, so that with the design and those instructions, put the two together, they understand it much more clearly versus if I were to just give them the design. So yeah, there's there are times where I do give them like the instructions of how to step-by-step step put something together or you know I make see. something, assemble something. So, sometimes I don't. And one of the things I'll just jump in and say this too is, you know, going back to say that shadow light pack, you know, Brigham, you know, patterned and sewn the first shadow light backpack in our facilities. But because we have, we've had the privilege of, of uh, working with some of these high, high end manufacturers um, and building these partnerships, you know, sometimes it is just faster and cleaner for Brigham to have them do the prototypes. And then if, if, and then break it down. Cause I know like, for instance, the Cody UL we launched today, Definitely there was on these first protos, he's saying, hey, you need to actually stitch it this way and redo this portion because that's not that's not going to work. And that's not, you know, different things. So it's it's really kind of a, an ebb and flow. And I also know, you know, some of our, you know, our newer manufacturers and a lot of people we're moving into, they do have just incredible skill, incredible skill um, mm-hmm. with a lot of it. And so, you know, when he works with some of my old manufacturers, he gets a little frustrated because there's just a massive difference between what we can do with these cutting edge manufacturers and, and with just a, um, say a, a B grade type of a manufacturer. Um, there's just so much more we can do when we get, when we hit that synergy with a partner manufacturer that, that gets it, that's super connected, that's manufacturing for high, high end manuf- uh, you know, other brands out there, potentially they just start where it's a totally different playing field and allows us to develop things at a totally different level. Like one of the thoughts I had was, like Tayson mentioned, the the prototype for that backpack. You know, I I, I wanted to to sew that. I wanted to make that myself and design the pattern myself, and because um, I, I I do believe that that is a great way, one of the most effective ways to really like know every stitch and pattern piece of a pack. Um, but frankly, I can still know that by designing it digitally the way that I do anyway. Um, but I just really enjoy doing it myself. I really enjoy getting my hands on and making a backpack, like making a backpack. Um, but with the way our company's structured and the way, you know, we do things, I may be designing a backpack, I'm, but I'm also working on 10 other things in five different product categories. So like it, I just don't have the time to, to make a prototype of all these varying things, right? Some of them, we don't even have the capability in terms of machinery and, and materials, but like it's uh, what we find with like backpack manufacturers and other manufacturers is they're able to make a prototype and get it here almost just as fast as I could make it myself 
because I'm doing, you know, 10 to 15 other things at the same time. So um, it, it works well for us. Nice. Can we jump into talking about textiles, just like fabrics yeah, a man. little bit? Um, Tayson, I know you like talking about this because when I listen to your podcast, uh, a lot of what you, you may, talk you may about, hear me talk more, but Brigham likes it more. I just talk more than Brigham. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I take it back. Both of you like and <laughs> geek out over fabrics. Uh, no, but uh, I, I find the the textile industry very interesting. Um, just as in in my personal work here, um, having seen new things come out and what we use on on our backpacks, and then knowing all of the dozens and dozens of other companies out there and what they use on their products. Like how, how do you go from, okay, we're going to make a, a backpack or, I mean, we can even talk about the Ventus and how you came into the very specific materials that were used on that hoodie um, insulation that has never really been used before in an apparel uh, application. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, other other fabrics. Like, how do you go through that process of figuring out exactly what fabrics you want to use? How you know that they're going to apply well to that uh, specific type of use and and such? Yeah, there's there's probably two or three different ways that we do that. I've, it'll be like a recurring theme. There's just different ways that we do so many things, mm-hmm. but like. Um, like one is frankly, a lot of the times we'll, we'll, we'll just be informed by one of our partners, manufacturing or supply partners of a new fabric or some technology, some textile or hardware or insulation. And they don't have any application for it. They're just telling us <laughs> about it. Right. Um, and this will be face to face, like at, at a, in a face to face meeting. They'll say like, oh, yeah, we've got this and and we can look at it and instantly lights will flash inside and we'll know that that has an application and the application is already it's like instantaneously there. That's one of those easy ones where it's like so, g- give an example of when that has happened in like you're what wearing pro- <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which you're is the dentist. It. Yeah. So that, um, certain it, aspects of the Ventus absolutely were just like, we saw it together. Yeah, we're like, thing. yep. That's, okay. That's and ex- explain yourself a little bit there. Yeah. Go ahead. I may not even remember. <laughs> well, we, basically we were meeting with, with, uh, one of our primary manufacturers of fabrics and, um, they showcased us this, this sample that they had been building for an entirely different market. And we looked at it and we're like, that's the most bizarre thing we'd ever seen. But what they're doing, if you did this instead, would have an amazing application, right? And really, it's just like we saw they basically developed that insulation and that thickness and it with its abilities to stretch and variable denier, you know, insulation and different things. And then, um, you know, they were doing some mapping differently and we're like, well, if we did it this way, you know, with the same type of textile uh, or at least insulation piece and some of these different things, um, it just like instantly both of us just saw it and went the same exact direction and thought process. So that's kind of where the Ventus was born is we saw that insulation and, and it was wrapped in a piece that was for a totally different um, nation 
But it was like, man, if we tailored that to our market and then added the extra things we wanted to do, like, like say the laser perforated armpits and stuff, then man, that would be like a totally different thing. So um, that would be like a quick, we both saw it and instantly went the same direction with it. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, so that's kind of the way of, uh, you know, a supplier tells us about a technology or a textile technology, right? Um, another, another example, sorry, I don't want to cut them off, but <laughs> this happens a lot. And it's, and it's a big part of like why we put so much time and energy into our partners, because um, I don't know if I should say names here, but one of the most big uh, old players in the game that's been manufacturing apparel for a long time uh, that's super, super popular came out with a piece a while ago that they claimed was lighter than down. It's like lighter than and warmer than down, right? And what's interesting is once you get inside the industry, you know that, and they kind of talked about their development of it and different things. Mm-hmm. And But when you get inside the industry, really what happened is a company that we're aware of designed an insulation took it to them first. They took it to market first with an exclusivity agreement. And all of a sudden this year, you see all these other companies rolling out that insulation because they had a two-year exclusivity on it. So that is just a part of some of the R&D is a good R&D team, a company that's consistently innovating. It's not just Brigham's ideas or my ideas. It's a partnership through the whole, every touch point of, of that supply. And that that's with any major company that's doing it right, in our opinion. Gotcha. So, okay, yeah, on to so. the other forms of innovation that <laughs> no, you're, you're good. I, I mean, yeah, I'll just stress again, like that it's, it really is important and it, it plays a huge role. Um, but that's kind of like the, the supplier side telling us a new, a new textile. Right. But, um, the other side is just taking what, what we know from experience or education, like Textile science, when I was in school, was like information Christmas every day. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, so. I'm going to so write that they, on a post-it note and stick it on my computer. From like, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard him say information that Christmas. Like that. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we take what we know from our, our, our own experience, our education, our knowledge, and then we, we think about well, since we know this, um, you know, in order for us to achieve this goal, we're going to need something similar to this. And like the Ventus hoodie that, that we're talking about already is a great example because the piece that the that we were informed of was the insulation. But taking what we know about insulation, especially really lightweight, fine fiber insulation, is you can't put a heavy or a stiff fabric on either side of it, top, or, you know, inside or outside. Cause it'll just, it'll just compress it. Right. And then it's yeah, too heavy useless. and it'll, yeah, exactly. You know, and then it's a stretch insulation. So we want the fabric to match the app, the, the insulation, like the whole application has to, has to, has to mesh. So yeah, we, we just started asking about different fabric types and that's very common across the product line, whatever the product is, you know, take what we know and say, well, the product needs to meet these requirements, whether it's durability, uh, stretch, breathability, water resistance, abrasion resistance. And then we that quickly funnels in like types of textiles that we ask or inquire about. And then we get samples of fabrics and then we test it and either go with it or go back to the drawing board. Uh, so that's kind of another method. Um, 
And then the other kind of method we go about, you know, deciding on fabrics or materials is, um, you know, really, again, taking what we, what we know and like realizing we don't have, like our suppliers don't have what we need. And so then asking them and telling them what we need them to make for us. So, you know, having, telling them we want a fabric that is this composition, this weight has these properties, um, and then give them the details and they make it for us. So, <laughs> or else that, we go on a big hunt. Yeah. Right. That's, that's amazing to me just to, to fathom the idea that like, Oh, I want a fabric to do this and it doesn't currently exist. And they're like, Oh, cool. Let's put this recipe together of different fibers and stuff and just make it. Like <laughs> That just, no, that it, feels, that blows my mind that, there's that's one of the best things about you, you getting out revitals. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the best things about getting out revitals to where we're at is that we can we can pull that off now, right? You know, like we're big enough that we can we can hit minimums to make people interested, you know, and we can get in the door with these manufacturers and then get, you know, be able to hit minimums to to do things. So like, you know, the Shadow Light backpack, you know, we saw things similar. We came in right asking these right questions and they're like, well. This is the current offering, but if you want to go a step above that, you know, we can look at this option and then we're like, we like that, but we need it actually to be this weight category, you know? So then, and then we're able to just fine tune it and, and they go and prototype it, make sure that they can make it and make it stably and, and effectively. And then, and then we get a custom fabric out of it. Yeah. And this process must be, I mean, this isn't isolated to outdoor vitals, like in industry, like big brands, Mountain Hardware, Arcteryx, like they are going to go through similar processes of we want a fabric that'll do this and we want it manufactured this way. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking of like yeah. welded baffles and stuff like that on a jacket that maybe nobody else had ever done before. And um, they make it happen. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of our secret sauce comes in like some of those minor tweaks that we make, like they might take this, Hey, it's a new technology being able to weave these baffles together in this way, but one company might take it in this direction. We might take it in another direction, but it might be based off a similar technology. Um, the other thing that I would say, you know, is very fortunate to us kind of along like the price point thing is there are definitely pieces and certain things that we're able to pursue that we've straight up been told, Hey, we pitched this, you know, this has been seen by this big company. That's a retail company. And they walked away from it because they couldn't hit price points they wanted for for retail stores, right? So that creates opportunity for for guys like us to innovate and build a product that's better than anything else out there, just because we have the ability to um, not have those price point issues. And then the other part that allows us to do things is, you know, along with the communication and the speed and 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 Brigham's abilities is we're able to bring things to market just a lot faster than a retail-based business. And that also helps us with R&D and, and development and just gives us kind of an edge there too. But I mean, maybe not as fast as you guys. We're just ordering a new fabric roll and turning out a new pack, <laughs> but um, definitely faster than, than you know, some Patagonia or Terex, you know, having to roll it into like three years down the line. Yeah, because part of what you're talking about is like seasonality stuff where products are like... Patagonia, for example, or any any big brand, they're going to have 
spring season, fall season catalogs of gear that yeah. is planned as far as maybe two or three years out. Am I, am I wrong in saying that? But yeah, that's about accurate. And how you, how you plan ahead like that when you're a wholesaler for majority of what you do versus direct to consumer. I think that plays a, a pretty big difference in, in how that applies. Yeah. I feel like talking about on the trail stuff though is probably, I don't know how we wrap that into this, but it is just a massive part. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I don't know if that was one of the things you wanted to cover, but I mean, (laughs) in terms of the, the development, um, like it, to me, to me, it's like mandatory, um, spent like just spending time in the field, like being out there doing it. I, I don't think you can replace the value of that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I'm, I mean, we've covered like design concept now in the manufacturing process, but, uh, before it, it goes into customer's hands. I imagine that there is a lengthy process of field testing that happens with samples before uh, you place that order for final product, right? And then yeah. you're shipping to customers. What is that? What is that process like? Um, I mean, it, re- it's, it really starts with the, the first sample. And again, it varies from product to product. But, um, you know, from the first sample, as long as it's functional, um, functional enough to learn something from it by using it in the field, then it, that, then we go, um, it, depending on the product, you know, it, it, that that's a backpacking trip or it could just be a run, you know, or a hike mm-hmm. or go standing out in the rain. Um, but like, yeah, so w- we try and get as much, learn as much as we can from one sample and then make as many tweaks as we can to it. And then, get a second one and then it's just repeat. So, and it's like the true test is like the field time. The true test is field time. So like, yeah, we check the measurements, we check um, tolerances and, and accuracy and, and stitching and construction quality, like of course, but that's like pretty brainless work, honestly. <laughs> like that, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It's just, that's like the easy stuff. Is it right or is it not? Is Yeah. 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 So really the 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 real work is in in testing it and and getting a lot of other people to test it too. Um and then collecting that feedback and then going, you know, round after round as many rounds as it takes really before you know, um before it kind of gets like the final approval, really. Yeah, that makes sense. How often in that field testing do you find that things are just a absolute fail and you have to go back to the drawing board? Or does that happen less and less because more checks and balances have been put in place in that design process and methodically considering the application and everything that it's not just like quick prototype, take it out of the field and it fails, but like all that homework's been done and the failures don't quite happen as often. If yeah. that makes sense. Um, I, I don't know if I would like to say that we get, maybe failure is not the right word. <laughs> well, but, but it could be, I mean, failure is the greatest tool for learning. So that's true. Um, that's true. But like, 
sometimes if I, it kind of sounds bad if I, if I say what the situation really is, is that there's nothing ever really that's too majorly bad. Um, well, what it's it saying is Brigham sometimes. doesn't like to have crappy outdoor experiences. So if it doesn't look like it's going to work on this trip, he's not going to take it that's and true. he'll start on the next sample. That's true. Right. So type one fun. Usually experience his, his, his analysis of it in the office is good enough to avoid failure out on the trip. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the whole point, but, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's always stuff that needs improvement. Some improvements are more significant than others. Um, I don't know if there's ever been any major failures in terms of, you know, it was just so bad that like it was not usable, but there's been some disappointments along the way, you know, if, we well, test too light of a fabric on our rain jacket and it yeah. snags on the zipper and rips on the first trip. And you're like, okay, we know. Bummer, that we bummer like. dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I remember, I remember being out uh, down in the Escalante area on the trip that we did together. And you had uh, some of the like trekking pole uh, sample tents on that trip. Yeah. And I remember asking you like, are there aspects of things on that tent in its current form that you don't like or would change? And, Brigham, you had like a whole laundry list of things that <laughs> that, that you wanted yeah. to change, and, th- and that tent is still under development. <laughs> a year later, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's a good point, though. Is there's really no timelines on development, and that's why I think we we do a good job of keeping a lot of you know lines in the water because you know we we do our best to push everything along, but it's not done until it's done. You know, it's not, it's not ready till we're all in agreement that this thing is, is there. Yeah. And I actually, I appreciate hearing that from a consumer standpoint to like, it's not just this idea and like push it out as fast as you can, regardless of, Oh sure. It's going, it's going to work. And so we'll just make it work. I mean, if it's, I, I can tell that Brigham, you're a detailed person and you care about those minute things that make subtle differences in the experience. And I think that's, I'm not trying to like <laughs> boost your ego or like make your, your head all super big. But I mean, that's the impression that I get from having been in the field with you and just hearing this conversation, like sure. those little things are important. Yeah. I try to catch as many as I can. <laughs> so I want to move on just with the, the time that we have left. Um, what what are some of the, or what product category, I should say, is the most challenging for you to bring a product to market? Mm. The most challenging, that, yeah. That. I'd say it can change. I, mean, I, think, I think what Brigham is going to say, if I'm going to read his mind, is that what it is right now might have been different a year or two ago. Uh, for instance, like apparel might have been really challenging for us the fir- as we first got into apparel, but I would almost bet now that it's probably not the most challenging. That, like, that's true. That's like true. sizing, for instance, or something like that. Oh, man. But um, yeah, apparel is very difficult, um, <clears throat> especially on the lower half. Um, it's just tough. Um, I guess that's a that's a fair assessment is that it's not as tough currently as it was two years ago. Um the other, the evidence is there. I just said our tent is still under development. So tents are tough. Like, um, I won't, 
I won't deny that at all. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes it's not necessarily the development. Sometimes there's a hiccup in supplier issue, but they're still tough. Like the tents are tough. What, what specifically about tents and shelters like right now are the, are the snags and the, and the crux points? Um, aside from supplier issues, um, it would, would just be like getting, like, is it the geometry with, and being happy with how a tent pitches, okay. um, being happy with the shape, the layout, the, the weight even, you know, um, just getting it all to come together. I think, I think also like our dominion tent is a two piece tent. It's a freestanding tent. Um, to me, slightly easier to get right. There's a little bit more forgiveness, say in the rain fly, tightening it down and things mm-hmm. and a one piece tent as well. Like, cause you've got the inner is connected to the outer and like, it's all one massive piece. That's just gotta just be dialed, you know? Yeah. Right. One, one piece meaning single wall. Yeah. yeah. Single yeah. wall with a, with a tub, a bathtub floor <clears throat> connected to that single wall. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, Sounds ask fun. us tomorrow might be different. <laughs> I'll shoot you a text and we'll see what happens. <laughs> right. So on the on the flip side, what what would you say like what categories are kind of the most most rewarding? Most rewarding? You know, I real I'll just say straight out oddly enough, apparel is also the most rewarding because once you do get the fit right, um, it's very rewarding. It's, um, cause it is a challenge. Um, but like people's, um, when you have people try something on and their positive feedback about the fit is very rewarding. Um, backpacks, probably my favorite thing to, to work on, you know, backpacks. Um, I, I just really enjoy those. And, and, and because it's such a, it's an intimate piece of gear. It's, it's all over you. Right. So, right. Um, I backpacks are very rewarding to just, just working on them as rewarding, using them as rewarding. And then the end product working as you intended it to is very rewarding. So that's it awesome. seems like the more, the more you use a product, sometimes it feels like the more rewarding it is. So like you mentioned with that Ventus hoodie, it's like, you've been wearing it every single day. Like that can feel really rewarding because it's such a staple, right? Um, backpack as well. Like it's something that, that you just, when you are using it, you're just always using it, wearing it, taking it off, getting stuff out of it, using it. Um, it seems like for me, at least the farther, the less and less you're using something almost like maybe the slightly less rewarding it is, but apparel is a lot of fun. Backpacks are really fun when they all come together for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So speaking of backpacks, Let's uh, talk about the Coda UL as of recording this episode. Let's hear what you think, because we don't get feed. Like the feedback loop for us is a little bit delayed. We launched this thing. People have spent over a hundred thousand dollars in one day on it, but, but like then (laughs) I'd love to hear what you think just like really quick before maybe we talk, but. (laughs) Um, So my, my personal honest assessment uh, I'll just be totally transparent. I've not actually spent much time researching it or paying that much attention to it. And the reason being is for me, I don't have 
an exact use case need for a travel adventure backpack. I just don't travel that much. And so the the shadow light pack from you guys is is way more appealing um, because it fits the use case of what I what I do personally. Right. Um, but con- but conceptually, I think the the idea of the coder UL to have a one like a one stop shop basically of I can have this easily travel on the plane with me. And it's going to work as a travel in the airport kind of application. But then I can also use it on the weekend backpacking trip that I'm going to do to wherever I'm traveling to. Like, that's cool. And I remember watching, I think it was on your YouTube channel or maybe it was Instagram. I can't remember. But you had been out to Olympic National Park, right? Mm-hmm. And, and took some of those packs. And for me, that was interesting because just the year prior, 2019, I had traveled to Olympic <laughs> to go backpacking on two different occasions. Uh, and it was cool to see like a singular item go from travel to into the backcountry carrying all of that stuff. Like, I think that's, I think it's pretty amazing to have something that can actually be that versatile and also not be kind of crappy travel gear. Yeah. <laughs> if you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. a lot of times like travel, like luggage in general is made from cheap materials and yeah. hard plastic and it doesn't, and it doesn't last. And yeah. so I, I would imagine that based off of your, parameters that the code UL is going to last somebody a really long time through dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, flights and just trips that they would go on. For sure. How's that, how's that for an outside perspective? Yeah, no, that was, that was good. That was good. It's good to hear and just, just hear what people have seen and, and understand of it so far. So. So yeah, what do you want to know from our side? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe um so you you designed the the shadow light, you launched that successful. What what was the the purpose and in the reason for let's create this adventure travel pack? And why why was that the next piece of gear versus a day pack or a uh, fast pack that seems to be very popular in the industry right now. Maybe you're already working on a fast pack and I don't know that. <laughs> um, no comment. Um, <laughs> that means yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These guys made me run like 500 miles this summer for some kind of reason, but um, <clears throat> that, that's a really good and valid question. And I don't know if I have a great answer to why the coda took a precedence over other things, or if I'd even call it a precedence, but I had been designing and working on and kind of testing the concepts and ideas behind the coda UL for a lot of years, even before Brigham got here. Um, mainly because our whole thing in Outer Vitals is, is to live ultralight, which basically is, yes, we're big ultralight backpackers, but once you become an ultralight backpacker, that philosophy and that belief starts bleeding into every other aspect of your life. 
And most ultralight backpackers, like the primary reason they're backpacking is to go and see things and to explore. And what we found within our own office and our own employees and our own customers is that they all were going to explore, not just say wilderness, but they're going across the world, right? Hmm. Me included. And so that's kind of where I was born is I was using these travel packs. I'd, I'd use say the big, the big backpacking backpacks and lug them through the airports with my straps hanging everywhere and trying to, trying to sneak <laughs> it onto a plane, you know, even though it didn't fit the carry on standards and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd switch to travel backpacks and just gone through extreme, um, discomfort in carrying those things. And, and where typically it's like, let's just make a duffel bag and throw straps on it and hope. That yeah. It works. Right. Like there's <laughs> usually not a frame. They call a plastic sheet, like a full frame and the hip belts are just pieces of webbing. But you're carrying when you're traveling, you're carrying more gear, like because you've got you're not just backpacking gear at that point. You're not a you're not a 10 pound base weight backpack, right? You're carrying sometimes a laptop or a book or a notebook or electronics and charging cables. And mm-hmm. then you've got more changes of clothes depending on your activities. And so typically traveling, you, you have a bigger base weight per se. And so um, and then sometimes we'd be coming back from, say, we're over in Asia and we're carrying back samples and maybe souvenirs. Next thing you know, your backpack is loaded to the hilt. And you're coming back and you're, you know, transferring airport to airplane to airplane and you just want to die with how uncomfortable your backpack is. Um, and so we just had this need where it came in and, um, yeah, I mean, basically development started, I think, you know, development started on the Code UL um, kind of while the shadow light was in, in progress. So it's kind of like we're checking the two boxes at once. We're getting this backpack developed and its priority. The shadow light was secondary priority. But now after that's come through, it's like, yeah, we've got other packs, you know, that we need to build. And so it just so happened that this that this came that way. The other reason that it might have got a little bit more priority and why we built it, too, is just that um, this is our fifth Kickstarter now. And we've had a lot of success on Kickstarter and it and Kickstarter funds the growth of those product lines. And not all of our product lines work on Kickstarter. We can't take, say, the shadow light if we launched on Kickstarter would not do the same thing because it's just a broader audience than say our website. So, so because we have access to something like Kickstarter, it allows us to get the funding we need to just grow that additional product line as well. So I don't know if that answers the question of why, but it was definitely a need internally. And, and we have the opportunity to, to raise money through Kickstarter successfully um, for that type of a product as well. Yeah, no, that, I think that's, a sufficient answer for me. <laughs> <laughs> Approve. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you, well, you should have done this. <laughs> Hindsight's 2020. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, it always is. But yeah, it's, it's been a fun piece. And I mean, to sum it up in, in the shortest amount of time, it's like this pack really was like, let's take our backpacking DNA of knowing how to make something comfortable on your backpack, on your back all day long, even when it, is heavier and let's build a travel back that does that. And then has the customizability to, to, to do different things, go backpacking, go traveling, you know, compress down to a day pack type of a scenario. You know, some of the things that I hated was when I had a backpack that was like, maybe it was a clamshell opening and it forced me to pack it a certain way. And then when I wanted to unload stuff out of it, it wouldn't work anymore or I couldn't do certain activities. And so it's just really comfortable and really customizable for, um, a broad spectrum of ranges. So that's the quick, the quick overview of what the heck we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. So, uh, last question to, to wrap this up. 
I'll uh, I'll let Brigham answer this, but just curious what other products Outdoor Vitals has coming down the pipeline that you're willing to share um, with listeners that uh, people could look forward to coming within the next 12 months, let's say. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's my that's a fun part of my job is like it's like this never ending thing of being excited about what's coming. Like it doesn't end, you know what I mean? So it's fun. So, um, like we're, we've, uh, I'll kind of mentally go through stuff that I know has been on, on film already. It's already been seen. So like, we've got a couple jackets, um, uh, like puffy type jackets that are going to be, uh, coming out really soon. Like, I don't know. I won't give it an exact we'll, date, but we'll have details on them in November, yeah. like open them up or have them on the website in November, but likely start shipping around December timeframe. Yeah. And will it, will those run in the same kind of like presale to, uh, live ultra live members and then to the yep. public kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. So we'll do pre-sale in November and then they'll sh- should cross our fingers, start shipping in December. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those two jackets, I'm really excited about, I think this sounds so biased, but it's like, Oh yeah, everybody in the office is excited about it. Well, do they have a say, but really they are excited (laughs) about it. And like people that, that don't work for us, that we put it on and, and, uh, let use they're they're all really excited about it. So they're basically two different puffy jackets that, um, have some really cool fabric innovations and insulation innovations. Um, that are in just different weight classes or warmth classes. One's more of a sweater weight. One's more of a jacket, warmer jacket weight. Um, okay. We do have um, a pretty, uh, we, we got a great rain jacket that's, that's in the works. That's been, that's been seen. Uh, I don't, we're not, you know, betraying anything with, with that one. We're pretty excited about that one. It's got an, again, another really cool fabric innovation. Um, was you know, it, was that jacket? That. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. What was that jacket used on your Highline trip? Yes. <laughs> oh yes. my gosh! What are, you, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I I just recently watched that video. <laughs> um, wow! How how you guys did not bail earlier is oh. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like well. Yeah, that jacket has seen some rain and some pack abrasion. I guess I'll just say that. So like it, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's true, that, true field testing. I'm really excited about that one because it has been so, so tested, like in like just the worst case weather. So, um, yeah, rain jacket coming. Um, That's a good example of one that we had those samples since the spring and just could not find a great opportunity to test them. You know, and then we took them to Seattle, you know, thinking for sure we're going to get an opportunity. It didn't rain out an age drop. But you just, <laughs> you get those opportunities to test when they come. And, and uh, yeah, because we didn't get a drop of rain when we were in Olympic. And then we go here back home to the desert and we get two trips in a row. Just never stops raining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very true. That's um, amazing. Yeah, we'll, uh, let's see. Those are kind of some of the major ones. There's new pad. We we will be coming out with a new pad um, sometime next year, within the next twelve months. That'll just be a lot more comfortable than our current pad. Yeah, will it have a new baffle design? Yeah, cool. It'll it'll be 
I know you like the Sea to Summit one. I know mm -hmm. I think I've seen some videos of yours. Mm -hmm. um, kind of in that, uh, not not as heavy as that, but like comfort category, comfort would you category say? and stuff. Kind of that quilted pattern kind of idea. Yeah. Um, po possibly uh, the the two trekking pole tents that we've been working on forever. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, yeah, and there 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 may or not may or may not be a a high speed pack coming. <laughs> um, no comment. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's 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 a, there's a lot more um there there's a it's crazy just even the stuff that we've talked about like like say those jackets for instance like they're like there's some truly unique innovation that's gone into them that we we get to bring to market like first and we're the ones that that pushed it through we developed the fabric we developed the proprietary blends of the insulation so like there's like we're kind of brushing over some things but like I can't wait to start like releasing all this info and just like showcasing it. And, and, it, and it's one of those things, like one of the, one of my favorite things is when I handed people the Ventus jacket, the first time people open up like that package and fill it and see it, they're like, Whoa, this is not what I expected. And it, it's but in a good way. So good. It's right. It's so like in good. a better way. And I expect that experience to just happen a few times, you know, like, like with a lot of these products coming down the pipeline. And, and that's, that's what I'm like amped up about. I, I feel like 2022 and, and the end of this year is, has been fun. The first part of this year, we've had our fair share of just delays and in different things, but it's, we've caught up with it. I feel like now where the next 12 months are going to be really exciting for design and for releases. Yeah. Yeah, I guess to sum it up, I mean, in most categories, there'll be something coming in pretty much every category. So <laughs> following the previous like year of all of the things that have come out, which is which is awesome. Well, gentlemen, I genuinely appreciate you taking time out of your workday on a busy day. Congrats on a successful launch so far of the Coda UL. By the time this episode comes out, uh, it may have already funded and uh be in production i don't know it's not going to take that long to <laughs> to get this out to, to listeners but uh really do appreciate your time absolutely man yeah we really appreciate uh coming on and i know we love you know watching and paying attention to the stuff you put out as well so you're doing a lot of good things for the industry and educating a lot of people and um so we i mean i i feel like even internally we just appreciate the stuff that you do in the industry as well so no Thank you. <laughs> we uh, nice we enjoy uh, we enjoy our time with you and, and consider you a good friend of ours. Tayson Brigham, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing a great conversation of really just some cool behind the scenes aspects of what it's like to design a product, how you come up with ideas and bring a product to market. I really appreciate your time and for coming on to the podcast again as uh, a second time guest. That's really fun for me to have additional guests on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to rate and review and share the podcast with your friends and on your social media apps and everything. It'd be very helpful to continue to share the backpacking experience with others. I appreciate you all listening to this episode today. We will catch you 
on the next episode of the Backpacking Experience. <laughs>